0: Luke, chapter 22. And he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when they came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, yours be done. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And then they seized him, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down amongst them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man, he was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know you. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them, aren't you? But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When one day came, the assembly of the elders and the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then then they said, What further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own
1: lips. he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether this whether the man was a Galilean. And when he, heard, when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him. And was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he had no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. And release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept on shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And a third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I found no—I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding... With loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but delivered Jesus over to their will.
2: And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid him on the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that will never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us And to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them if they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And if indeed justly, for we are receiving a due reward for our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you you will be with me in paradise. Certainly this man was innocent, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Red He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had yet been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment.
3: But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on and on the third day raised? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concer- Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and crucified him. But we we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, "'Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent.' So he went in to stay with them. While he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, "'Did did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, and while he opened to us the scriptures?' And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem." And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, gathered together, saying, "The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread.
4: As they were walking as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, "Peace to you." And they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God.
5: We want to thank you this morning for the gift of your word that instructs us and leads us shows us jesus we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us today to sing your praises to call upon your name to celebrate the testimony of your people god how you save sinners whether it's it's the most wayward or the most religious god you save sinners And we thank You for that. God, thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. I was preparing this message this morning, going through it again, and just getting ready for Easter Sunday. And I had the whole message set out and ready to go, and I thought, I'm going to do a little more preaching, maybe a little less Bible reading, and I just felt I felt the Lord just kindly instruct me, a little less preaching, a little more Word, that would be better. And so that's why we had those readings this morning. It wasn't in the plan, but thanks be to God who continues to direct His people right where we're at. If you want to turn with me to Luke 22, before I came up here, Friend of mine came up to me and said, John, it's Easter. Don't screw this one up. So, thank you, Scott, for that encouragement. Appreciate that. It's always helpful. All right, Luke 22. In order for us to really understand and comprehend what Jesus is about to say concerning his death and resurrection, we have to kind of. take a little step back and kind of look at it from 30,000 feet to get a better understanding of, Jesus, what are you doing? Because here in this passage in Luke 22, Jesus this is kind of the, the prequel, if you will, to what we just read happened. And so in this passage, Jesus Christ is sitting down with his disciples to celebrate this Passover meal. And in the context of this Passover meal, Jesus begins to describe to them the significance of of what is about to take place, which the disciples had no idea. This came, with the, the events that we just read came to the disciples with complete shock. They had no idea of what was about to take place. And so for them, as we read this, we've, some of us have heard the story before, we can kind of anticipate what's going to happen next. And, but for them, this was, this was a complete, unbelievable surprise to them. They had no idea this was going to happen. But Jesus, in this passage, begins to interpret for us and to his disciples what was taking place. Now, this is in the context of the Passover meal. And if you turn back to Exodus, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus 11 and 12, we see the the purpose of the Passover. And the Israelite nation was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And there came a time when when the Israelites um, were in slavery and God came down and said, okay, we've had enough, we're going to bring you out of slavery. But I'm not just going to kind of snap my fingers and the Egyptians fall away. We're going to do some amazing things in order to show everybody the greatness and power of Almighty God and to remind the Israelites who their God was. God says, I'm going to make a statement that everyone's going to get. And this statement is of my power. My power to save, my power to deliver. And so we see in these passages, what happens is a series of plagues and then there's one final plague. And God says to Moses, look, I want you to prepare the people because this plague is going to be unlike any other plague that I've done. This plague is going to to cause the Egyptians to send you out not just kind of like, okay, guys, leave us. We want all the slave labor that we've had for 400 years to leave, and this will decimate our economy and, and everything that goes along with that. They're going to they're push you out, and they're going to give you all their stuff on the way out. He says this final plague is what's going to happen is this. is I'm going to send a destroyer into the land of Egypt. and What I want you to do as Israelites is I want you to take a lamb, a perfect lamb a year old, and I want you to slaughter this lamb. And I want you to take this blood of the lamb, and I want you to take it, and I want you to put it over the doorframe of your house. And when I see the blood on the doorframe, the destroyer will pass over your house. But for the Egyptians who did not trust God, did not believe God, did not recognize God, he says, upon those houses, my judgment will fall. And the firstborn of every family, cattle included, will pass away. So this was was the, the anticipation of the Israelites did this. They followed along. They put the blood on the door frames. And that night, that very thing happened. The destroyer passed through the land of Egypt. All the firstborn, it says, from Pharaoh all the way down to the slave girl, the firstborn died. But the Israelites were saved. The destroyer passed over the Israelites, where the the Egyptians received judgment, the, the the Egyptians received judgment, the Israelites received mercy. Now, it's in the context of this that that they instituted the, the Passover meal. So this Passover meal was to be celebrated every year at the same time, remembering what had happened in Egypt. And so God said, I want you to remember this time. I want you to tell your kids about this deliverance. I want you to, to everybody to know what had happened. The deliverance that you have experienced out of the bondage of slavery into, the, into freedom, to the land that I've promised. I want you to celebrate this Passover meal with your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren all the way down as remembrance for what I've done. Now, we fast forward about 1,200 years. And now we're in Luke 22. And here Jesus is eating with his disciples this very Passover meal. And so we're going we're to start reading in Luke 22. And we're going to start in verse 7. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they went and found it just as He had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus, He reclined at table, and the apostles with Him. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And He took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to this man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. Now we see in verse 15, Jesus sitting down with his disciples, having this, having this meal, and he says this, he says, I have earnestly desired, I have earnestly desired, this is an intense longing, to eat this meal with his disciples. And this is not because he was hungry, it wasn't like he missed lunch, and now he's got this intense longing to eat this meal with his disciples, because in, verse, in the second half of verse 15, we see why he had earnestly desired to eat this meal. And he says, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Before I suffer. See, for Jesus, knowing what the disciples did not yet know, was that the cross was in view. Here he is eating this meal with his disciples. And in his mind, he understands I am about ready to suffer. I am about ready to have my life poured out. And I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you. This Passover is unlike any other Passover. You've been celebrating this Passover for 1,200 plus years, but this one is unique, this one is different. This Passover is unlike any other Passover. It's in the context of this Passover meal that what Jesus does in verses 19 and 20 is so significant. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And what Jesus is doing is he's interpreting his death in the context of the Passover. He's bringing an interpretation to this in the context of the Passover. And he's saying, look, my death has got saving significance. The disciples understood the Passover. They got that. They knew that. They knew that from, from childhood. They had been taught this. What was the Passover? What was the significance of the Passover? Why do we keep doing this year after year? They understood that. And so for them, this Passover meal was just going along as usual. But Jesus is saying, guys, look, I am about ready to blow your minds. What is about ready to happen to me will completely transform and change your understanding of what you thought the Passover was about. And I'm telling you, this is going to change everything. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer. My body will be broken. My blood poured out in the most horrific of ways. And for this, this was the final Passover the Passover to end all Passovers. And He said, this is given for you. This is given for you. This wasn't just a good example to people. This wasn't a well, I want you to remember some things. He says, no, no, no. This is given for you. So how does does this Passover work? Remember, the cross is in view. He says, this is for you. Who is this in place of, this Passover? Jesus is taking our place. Look what... Look what John the Baptist says. You don't have to turn there, but John the Baptist in John 1.29, when he first sees Jesus, remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He was here to prepare the way for Jesus. And when he sees Jesus on this morning, John the Baptist says this, Behold, the Lamb of God, who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. This wasn't just a normal greeting in the first century. This was unique. Saying, look, I'm preparing the way for Jesus. But this Jesus, he's the Lamb of God. And he takes away the sin of the world. Not only that, but we read in 1 Corinthians 5 and verses 7 and 8. You don't have to turn there, but the Apostle Paul begins to make commentary on what's happening in, this, in these passages. The Apostle Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So the Apostle Paul is making comment on what's happening. He says that this wasn't just a remembrance service. no, no, no. no. Jesus Christ has become for us our Passover. He gave His life for us. For you and for me. And this is why. Because we need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need to be saved from our sins. Romans 3.23 The wages of sin Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Every last one of us. As my mom was saying earlier, there, there are people here who live just a life of just, in your mind think, oh, I've just done some terrible things in my life. You need a Savior. But there's also people sitting here today who said, you know what, I'm not that bad. I've gone to church most of my life. I usually put a little something in the offering plate as it goes by. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't illegally downloaded music. I'm not that bad. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. We're not okay. We're guilty before God. As I was thinking about this this week, I just thought, just take one of the Ten Commandments. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. God will not hold anyone um, innocent who does this. He, he will hold them guilty who takes the Lord's name in vain. When we use the Lord's name in an irreverent way, in any way that's irreverent, in any way that is not honoring and glorifying to God, He says, you're using my name in vain. It's blasphemy. I was just thinking, how much good would we have to do to make up for one blasphemy? How much would we have to serve how many prayers would we have to pray? How many times we have to read the Bible to make up for one blasphemy? And I think we'd probably all fit into that. We've all used the Lord's name in some way that was not reverent. He says, you're guilty, and I'm going to hold you guilty for that. What's the penalty for this? Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. The just wages of sin is death. When you work your 40 hours or 20 hours or however much you work and you get paid that paycheck at the end of the week, those are your just wages. Those are, you're getting what you deserve. Now some of you say, you know what, I deserve a little bit more than this. I know like, hey, I've, I'm working hard. But that's the agreed upon just wage that you get. In the same way with, with Almighty God, when we stand before a holy and mighty God, he says, look, when you sin, the just payment is death, the separation from God. There's no way around this. But the second half of the verse is good news for us. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the good news for us. That what we deserve is death. Death. But yet the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news for us. So how does God do this? How does God just give us eternal life when we rightly deserve death? When we're guilty, when we stand before God guilty, we've committed sin, we deserve death, we deserve our just wages. How does God just give us eternal life? Because Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, has been executed for our sin. The penalty that we rightly deserved was put upon Jesus Christ. And when that happens, the the blood of Jesus Christ is painted across the doorway of our hearts. And what we deserve is death but yet, Jesus Christ passes over, and now we receive eternal life. That is the good news. That is why we celebrate on Easter. That's why we come here and say, thank you, Jesus, that we're seated at your table, once your enemies, now invited to sit and dine and fellowship with Jesus, given the gift of eternal life. Why? Because Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And His blood covers the doorway of our hearts. And the good news is that this story, this Passover story, with Him eating with His disciples, it doesn't end in the upper room. It doesn't end with Jesus Christ on the cross. It doesn't end with Him being buried. It doesn't end in the empty grave. Because Jesus Christ is risen. He's alive today. And He's here in our midst. And so we come here today and Jesus is offering the gift of eternal life. And you've got a choice to make. You can either say, you know what? I, under, I understand what you're saying. But, I've got some things to do on my own. I've got my own way of living. I've got my own style of life. Now, that's good news, I get that, but I'm going to do my own thing. And I believe for us, the correct and the right thing that God is asking us to do is respond in faith. Say, Jesus Christ, I believe that your death was for me and my sin. That I need that Passover lamb sacrifice for me. I need that. Without it, there's no hope. We put our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. And the implications, the ramifications of that decision is that we no longer try to find life in anything else. That we no longer try to find our hope, our joy, our peace in anything but Jesus. If with Jesus there is eternal life, and we don't believe it's found in anything else or anywhere else, it's only in Jesus, that then we don't go on living like we can try to find it in other things or try to somehow earn this free gift of salvation. If we try to earn this gift, it's no longer a gift. He says, no, the only way to receive this is as a gift. We can't work our way to do this. I can't remember who came up here and said this. It might have been Michelle. But the temptation for us is this. That we see this as a precious gift. And we come to we come on Easter morning and say, Thank you, Jesus, for the gift that we get to have our sin passed over. We get to receive eternal life. And now what I'm going to do is when I sin, I'm going to try to make up for it. I'm going to try to do it myself. I'm going to earn, I'm going to try to earn your love and favor. And we can't do that. Because of Jesus Christ, He's paid the penalty for our sin. We can't earn this. Can't do enough good to earn this because Jesus Christ has completely earned it for us. There's nothing else for us to earn. So I think there's there's a response of faith that some of us here need to respond with. You may be coming here today, it's Easter. It's what good people do on Sunday morning on Easter. We go to church, we sing some songs. But I would be remiss if I didn't say, look, if you are sitting here today and you feel the conviction of my sin has not been atoned for, my sin has not been paid for, I need the blood of the Lamb. I need the Passover Lamb to cover my heart, to be forgiven. After the service, I want you to come up and we'll pray for you. But I believe there's also another group of people here who are living under the weight of condemnation for sin. Last week, I got done preaching, I sat down, and immediately as I sat down, I felt this, this condemnation. Come, I just, Austin was like bombarded with how you preach this? You're not living this. How dare you tell anybody to do anything about Jesus when you yourself are sinful? You've fallen short. You don't deserve to do this. And the good news of the gospel came in. I said, you're right. I don't deserve this. But by the grace of God, I've been forgiven. And even when I fall short, God treats me as a son. God treats me as his own. Look, I've fallen short, but the penalty for that has been paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. There's nothing left for me. No, I don't deserve this. By His grace, I get to, I have the privilege to tell you about Jesus. But I don't deserve this. But, by the grace of God, I can stand up and worship and say, not deserving what I get because Jesus Christ got what He did not deserve. Taking my sin upon His body, upon the cross. And so, I just like to encourage you as well. If you are feeling that kind of condemnation, if you are battling against just the, the thoughts of not, I, don't, I, I can't do this thing, I'm so displeasing to God. If, God, if you knew what I was doing, then you would, you would think I was so disgusting. God only knew. I want to encourage you. The message of Jesus Christ on the cross is that He washes us clean, forgives us and restores us, and invites us back to the table as His friends. We battle those thoughts with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and we're going to celebrate with communion. And we're going to do this because Jesus Christ has given His body for us. He was broken, His blood was poured out, and now we can come before Almighty God and give thanks and remember His work on the cross. So Jesus, we want to thank You again this morning that You are not dead. That you are not in the grave. But you, are, you have risen and You sit enthroned in glory. And now You are here in our midst and You are drawing us to Yourself. And You are revealing Yourself to us through Your Word. So Lord, we pray this morning oh God, that we would see Jesus. We would put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus. Not in our own work, but in Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for the free gift of salvation and relationship that you offer to us. In Jesus' name, amen.